0: I just want to share a few thoughts before we come to the Lord's table Uh, on the scripture that Pastor Spencer read. We kind of tend to read that scripture a couple times, the book of Acts, at least two or three seasons in the church, sometimes more. But uh, when you think of how the church itself was actually birthed, you know, it wasn't birthed in some back room. A few people got together, had a novel idea, or took a few religions and kind of tweaked them and came up with something new and novel But the Bible tells us that actually when the church was born, it was after the resurrection of Jesus, when people were gathered together on the day of Pentecost, as Jesus told the believers to do, to wait to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. And there was such a a violent sound of wind, like a storm, like just something brewing in the heavens that settled over that place where they were meeting. It was so loud that actually thousands of people from around the city who were there for the Jewish feast of Pentecost they came running to see what in the world was going on. And when they got there, they discovered there was some hundred people or more who were actually in a room, in a home, in what was called the upper room. And they met together there to worship and to pray because that's what Jesus told them to do. When Jesus ascended back into heaven after having died on the cross and risen from the dead, he ascended back to heaven. But before he did, he said, listen, this thing that we're beginning is not just an organization. It's not The church is not a building. We know that. The church, the Ecclesia, actually, it's even more than just the called out ones. We are called to be called out from the world. That is, the Lord draws us out of darkness into His light. But the Ecclesia, part of it was also they were people who had authority in the city. They were people who came out to the gates of the city and they met there to discuss the business, the transactions of that community. They're the ones who determined what came into that community or what would grow in that community, what would be priorities in that community and really to me, part of being the church, what Jesus meant when he said, I will build my church, is he's not just talking about people who come out of the big bad world and, you know, kind of protect themselves till Jesus comes and saves them one day. He's talking about people that he has called out of darkness to fill with light and life and power and presence and strength, a, a knowledge of and a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And in that relationship, they actually minister in authority. They are people who actually have authority. They have sway in their community. They are people who actually have an impact or weight in the spirit realm. Things can be different. A workplace can be different. A community can be different. There are now divine options because there are these people now infiltrating the communities who bring Jesus with them, who bring the living Christ with them. And now there's options. And so we see that Jesus was able to do what he did because these people did what Jesus told them to do. Jesus said, go and wait until you receive the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. He will come and he will baptize you with fire. He will baptize you with life. In fact, for those who've experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I think one of the most beautiful things for me anyway, the baptism of the Holy Spirit really is a baptism of just the love of God, of just His incredible love, a revelation of how much he loves us and how his love sets us so free free to believe for things, free to see things dislodged in our lives that shouldn't be there, things to move into what God has made us for. And so they received that promise because they waited until the Lord had sent the Holy Spirit. Well, that same day, uh, Peter is speaking to thousands of people who had come to see what that noise was all about. Well, he gets arrested for disturbing the peace. Isn't that kind of interesting? You actually bring peace and get arrested for disturbing the peace. I can go off on a tangent there, but it won't for this morning's purposes, but... But he gets arrested for disturbing the peace. And so while he's standing there in front of the religious authorities, he's declaring to them that this Jesus, who we preach, that there is no other way to be restored to a relationship with God than through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it begins. You see, when God gave us the gift of his Son, Jesus Christ, there was no plan B. There is no plan B. Jesus Christ is the only way to be reconciled to our Heavenly Father. And of course, those of us who know the Lord, we know, we know that to be true. In fact, if I was asked for a show of hands for those of us who know the Lord, and if I was to ask, how many of you honestly believe that Jesus is the only way? I'm sure all of our hands would go up. But what I find really interesting, and especially in the Western church, is that even though we are quick to confess the truth that Jesus is the only way, isn't it interesting how many of us, after we've come to terms with that, we seem to go on living our Christian life or living for Jesus with an attitude that kind of says, well, you know, I know that I'm saved now. I know that I'm going to heaven. But now I guess I can begin to make my own choices. And so we profess to know Jesus as the only way, but then we kind of go and live life as if we just have all these options. And, you know, some we'll pick, some we won't. Some things we'll do, the Lord says, something we won't do. Some things we won't do. And so we begin by choosing, for example, whether or not we'll be baptized in water. We begin by choosing whether or not we're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, whether we feel like that or not. Whether we want to operate or discover our spiritual gifts, whether we actually want to walk with Jesus. Because you see, when you walk with Jesus, you're going to walk in the supernatural. There's just no way around that. Walking with Jesus is not just embracing a, you know, a, a, a lifestyle. We've talked about this in the past. Walking with Jesus is basically walking in an attitude that says, Lord, as I move through this day, I want to be sensitive to the voice of your Holy Spirit. I want, to, I want to see, like Jesus said, I want to see what the Father is doing. That's where I want to be. I want to hear what the Father is saying. That's what I want to speak. It doesn't mean that you don't do the practical things you need to do through the course of your day. But as you do those things, you recognize, man, that's just my cover, you know, if I work at the bank, you know, what am I? I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, cleverly disguised as a bank worker. That's really who I am. You see, so I do the things that I need to do in, in, in the life in which I live, but wherever I go, I recognize more than anything, I bring the kingdom of God with me. Jesus is in me, the Holy Spirit is in me, and so he wants me to be living not just a good life, a nice life, he wants me to be living a little bit on the edge, he wants me walking through my day and saying, Lord, I know what I've got to do on my agenda, but I also recognize there's people out there that you want to touch, and so Lord, my heart's just open, I may go through the day and nothing big happens, I may go through the day and three or four times you speak to me, and you minister through me to somebody else around me, well, I'm way off my notes already, so I've got to get back on track. But we get this idea that we kind of have choices once we come to Christ. And the reality is, we can make all kinds of choices. And the fact is, the choices that we make, you know, are not necessarily going to stop us from getting into heaven. But the question is, is, that's, is that all it means to follow Jesus, to get into heaven? Is that all that Jesus had in mind when he said, I will build my church? Is that all Jesus had in mind? I believe Jesus was talking about a people who would not only choose him, but having chosen him, they would also choose the disciplines that he has for us in order that his life, his presence, the Holy Spirit might actually be pulsating in us. That when we come together, that we actually expect, wouldn't it be a novel thing to actually come to church and expect the Lord to show up? I mean, isn't that a radical idea? right? I mean, the Lord did say, if you gather in my name, I am there. He didn't say I'm there quietly hiding, you know, in the back somewhere. No, I'm there. I'm, it's like, okay, let's go. I'm ready. Let's go. i got things to do. Come on. Move with the Spirit and let's see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. We know that the early church, of course, wasn't perfect. But when you read the opening chapter of the book of Acts, you have a summary of the kinds of things that really characterized the early believers. You see, if we're honest and look at our lives, our lives are full of a lot of things. And I'm not going to list them off because we're all in a different place in our walk with the Lord. What might be wrong for me right now is not necessarily wrong for you and vice versa. So we leave that with the Lord as we walk with the Lord. But there were certain things, I believe, that were really characteristic, that were fundamental to the lives of individual believers and corporately when they came together. One thing, for example, is they were worshiping people. They were a people who many of them had grown up in a certain religious tradition and so for decades, whatever, they were used to, you know, being in service. They were used to the liturgy and all that kind of stuff. But now they've encountered Jesus. They've encountered the Holy Spirit. They've encountered the presence of God. So they were a people who worshipped. They expected when they came together that the living God was actually going to be there. That's one thing that really characterized them. They were also people who hungered for the Word of God. They were people who when they read the Word of God, the Word of God was spoken to them, they didn't receive it in an optional way. And again, I don't want to paint this picture that they were perfect. That's why the you know, New Testament, a lot of it was written to deal with some issues in the church. But by and large, there was such a freedom and move of the Holy Spirit because the people understood that when the Word of God is you know, brought to bear in my life, it's me that's going to change. It's not the Word. I'm not going to you know, skirt around the Word. I'm not going to justify my sin. If Jesus says this is wrong or that is wrong, He wants to bring freedom, then you see, for Jesus to be Lord of my life means simply when He speaks to me, I say, yes, sir. That's what lordship is. We've said it many, many times, but to walk in the Spirit is not some mystical, ethereal thing where we float off the ground. Walking in the Spirit and maturity has to do with simply how quickly I say yes to the Holy Spirit when He speaks to me. He makes it really simple. But the early church were people whose lives were characterized by a a hunger for the Word of God and that Word shaping their lives. There were also people who gathered on a regular basis for prayer because they understood prayer's power. There were also people who understood the absolute necessity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And they, they were a people who were filled with the Holy Spirit. And because of that, just as Jesus said, You'll receive the Holy Spirit and be my witnesses, they were a people among whom evangelism was strong and it was fruitful. They understood that what they had, other people needed. And so they lived their lives with the joy in the Lord that was really attractive to those people around them. But all of those kind of things are the things that filled the early church. And it's filled the early church with this sense of vitality, this life that really multiplied, it expanded, and of course it touched many people around them. You know, as we move into the fall, And we're glad to have the masks off. We're glad to kind of get back to some things. We're really looking forward to, you know, relaunching some ministries in the fall, launching new ministries. But I want us to understand that everything that we're going to be doing in the fall, and even now, it's not for the purpose of just filling a church calendar. How many people would say, my life's kind of busy enough. I don't need more stuff, right? So it's not about a calendar, but it is about encouraging each of us in our lives to begin to put into place the kind of structure that really characterized the early church. What I mean by that is that we would look at ourselves as we move into the fall and say, Lord, what is it that you have for me? Lord, well, as I take an in inventory, what is it that I need to change? What is fundamentally the structure of my life? Is it life-releasing? Is it kingdom-building? Is it about you? Do I, am I experiencing the things in my faith, your, your joy, the abundant life that you've talked about, ministry flow? Am I experiencing those things? If not, what are some things I need to change? What are some things that I need to drop? What are some things I need to begin to consciously develop? Where are some areas that I need to be stretched? Areas that I'm uncomfortable, but as I move into those things, I know that I will have to trust in you. And you see, the purpose is not just that we have a balanced life. The purpose is so that the life of Jesus is actually flowing through us. You see, a balanced life is not just, you know, everything in order. You know, get everything on that timeline. It's all scheduled, just perfect, perfect balance. Don't anything move, and we're good. That's not a balanced life. A balanced life is being led by the Holy Spirit. It's moving through your day, moving through your week, and saying, Lord, what do you want me to give myself to this week? What do you want me to not give myself to this week? What's distracting? What's fruitful? What is it that you are doing? I want to be about those things. It's not just about a timeline. It's about whether or not Jesus Christ is real to me, whether or not he's flowing through me. Now, Luke says there's basically four foundational principles that the early believers lived in. I'm not going to be talking about all those this morning. I want to just focus on one. But I want us to understand that these principles that the early believers embraced, they weren't confining. They weren't religious. They weren't ritualistic. They were actually the very things that promoted the life of God in their lives, through their lives. Look at verse 42. Luke writes, every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. That's one thing. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another. That's two fellowship they shared in communion or the Lord's table and the coming together regularly for prayer. And what I just want to focus on for a few minutes this morning, because we do have the emblems in our hands, we have the Lord's table here before us, is I just want to focus for a moment on just how vital, how foundational the provision of the Lord's Table is to our life, what the Lord has accomplished, what these things represent to our lives. In fact, I want to encourage you to understand you don't have to wait till the first Sunday each month to share in the Lord's Table. You can share in the Lord's Table in your front room with your family as we understand what the Lord's Table actually represents and releases to us. In 1 Corinthians 11, it's the classic passage, the Apostle Paul lays out a few things. First of all, he talks about just basically the order of the Lord's Table, how we partake, what we do when we come together. Then he also talks about the purpose of the Lord's table, that we're not just going through a ritual, but there's actually a dynamic there that he wants us to experience. And, of course, he also talks about the power that's available to us who come to the Lord's table. Let's read together verse 23 to 25. Paul writes, I have handed down to you what came to me by direct revelation from the Lord himself. The same. Are you reading? I think the folks on TV are louder than you are right now. Okay, let's pick it up a notch. The same night in which he was handed over, he took bread and gave thanks. Then he distributed it to the disciples and said, take it and eat your fill. It is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. He did the same with the cup of wine after supper and said, this cup seals the new covenant with my blood. Drink it and whenever you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. I love that phrase in here in this particular translation where the Lord says, take it and eat your fill. And the question I want to ask you this morning is that when we come to the Lord's table, do you eat your fill? When we come to worship the Lord, are you greedy enough in your spirit that you say, Lord, I want everything you have for me? If the people around me want to starve, that's their choice. But it's theirs. As the old hymn writer says, Jesus has spread a table before us, Right? Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed, and what does he say? Come and dine. And we just all revealed our age, those who know that song. (laughs) Come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. Even King James, you see? But that's what the Lord wants us to understand. So basically what Paul just says here is the order that we are to follow as we share in the Lord's table. Then he talks about the actual purpose of it. Verse 26, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the story proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. What's the story? We're retelling the gospel story. That's what these emblems represent. We're telling the story that there was a time. We can't fathom this right now because we live after the cross. We live in in, in potential freedom if we choose to. But there was a time when man was lost and hopelessly separated from God. There was a time where sin, where darkness ruled men's heart. And people were longing for deliverance, longing for freedom, longing for the light. There's a beautiful song we sing at Christmas that says, The light has come, and the darkness will never be the same. Hallelujah. That's the difference Jesus made. And Paul is saying when you come together, we are retelling that story. We're retelling what God the Father has accomplished for you and me through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross where he died in your place, took the penalty that you deserve, took it upon himself so that by you placing your trust in him, you could receive forgiveness for all your sin, be washed clean, and be made new as a son or daughter of God. That's the good news that we share. And he says, when you come to the Lord's table, these emblems represent and remind you that was done for you. But it also is to remind you what's available to you right now as sons and daughters of God. He says in verse 6, 26, again, wherever you eat, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're retelling the story, proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. You see, when we come to the Lord's table, we are making a proclamation. What I mean by that is communion is not so much an act of devotion. It's an act of declaration. When the Lord says to remember me, he's not saying just remember what your sins did to me and I hope you feel really guilty. Because if you don't feel guilty like you should, God's going to judge you. A lot of us were kind of raised with that understanding, weren't we? Now, we need to examine ourselves, and we examine ourselves primarily what? To discern what it is the Lord has done for us through the cross in order that we can appropriate that, in order that you and me who have been set free, as Paul says in Galatians, that we may continue to live in the freedom for which we've been set free and not become entangled again, not become discouraged and defeated or bogged down again. But recognize when we come together, the Lord is here to do something in our midst. We are proclaiming everything Jesus has done for us through the cross. We are proclaiming there is actually power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the presence of Jesus. We're testifying to that power in these emblems. That's why Paul goes on to say in verse 27, he says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, that is your coming and not... Considering what this all is all about he says will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup for those who eat and drink without Discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep or died prematurely But if you were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under judgment In other words, when we come to the Lord's table, there's a two-edged truth here. The one is, when I come to the Lord's table, I recognize that there is a power that's available to me. That's why when we come to the Lord's table, as I was saying earlier, in some traditions they partake every single week, because we recognize when we come together, there's a whole lot of stuff we can carry on through the week. And what the Lord wants to remind us of as we come together is what He has done for us so that we don't have to stay that way. We don't have to stay discouraged. We don't have to stay hopeless. We don't have to stay feeling dirty or unclean. The Lord has actually done something for us that can change us today, whatever we bring. There's a beautiful song uh, that we sing, but the chorus says miracles happen when he moves. Healing is coming in this room. Why? Because Jesus is here. I mean, did you just sense the Lord this morning when we were gathered together to worship the Lord, we, we don't just feel you know, presence, it's a person. We feel presence because the person is here, right? You know, if you ever stand in somewhere and you just feel like, someone's behind me, I feel like, you know, you feel a presence, why? Because they're there. You know, so the presence of the Lord is not, again, just this vaporous kind of nice chill down the spine. The presence means Jesus is here. And what Jesus is saying, when you come together, when you come to my table, I want you to understand I'm here. What does that mean? Things can change because I'm here. I'm here. Don't go through the service. Don't go through the ritual. Understand the presence of the person in whose you stand. That, that's why Paul says we need to come together with understanding. Again, we're not just eating a piece of bread, drinking some juice, but we're coming to experience God actually releasing something to us. God giving us something. God doing something tangible in our lives. Now, the other side of that coin, of course, to the Lord's table is if I don't come with understanding, if I don't come with discernment, then I'm going to remain where I was when I came. And I believe that what Paul is saying is, when he says, when you do without understanding, without discernment, you are drinking judgment upon yourself, you are simply remaining in the bondage, the brokenness, the dysfunction, whatever it may be, the sickness, whatever it is. You're remaining in that because you don't understand why you came. I don't know if I should tell this story or not. Because I realize we're online. I just think it's funny. It's funny. But I hope I won't offend anybody when I say this. Can I be vulnerable? I know you won't tell anybody. Well, I know if it gets out, it's them, okay? I know nobody here told this story. But Vanessa and I just got back from vacation. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were still in town. We I on mean, one of those staycations. So we're trying to decide where to go to the church. And I've got to be honest with you. My thought was, because I was thinking, okay, it's a good chance to visit some of my pastor friends, one of their churches, but, you know, I know a half dozen guys really well. Where am I going to go? And my thought was, you probably know what I'm going to say, who's probably going to have the shortest service? (laughs) Isn't that terrible? Isn't an awful thing? I know you've never thought that, right? Because what happens, we get ourselves sometimes in this mindset that we're going to church, and we're kind of thinking, okay, we're going to church, so that takes care of, you know, 11 to 12.30 or 9 to 10.30, and then we're doing this or doing that, whatever the case may be. And by the way, the Lord has a sense of humor. The service was two hours long. <laughs> it was real nice, but you guys were out long before us, okay? So the Lord has a way to teach us. We had a great time. And then last week we came here because we thought, oh, for sure, you know, 45 minutes, right? No, but, uh, but you know, we can do that. What, does that. what does that kind of reveal? It reveals an attitude of, of no expectation of coming to church and kind of just think about the time frame, but I can come to church, I can do all the stuff in the service and yet never really engage my heart. I can never engage in in the reality that Jesus is here and by his spirit, by his power, by the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God, the cleansing, whatever it is I need, all of this is available to me. And that's what these emblems remind us of. And I hope we'll avail of that this morning in just a moment as we share it together. But Paul says, if you don't come with understanding, you're going to remain subject to the influences of whatever it is that's been holding you back. In fact, Paul said, the reason many were sick and weak, and some of you even died prematurely, is not because it was God's plan for you, but simply because when you came, you didn't receive the help the Lord wanted to give to you. Anybody ever that happened? You're in a worship service, and you feel like, I'm not getting anything. And the person, I know it's nothing happened here, right? But, you know, there's rumor, it can happen. You know, you're kind of, you know, looking at your watch, and you look over, and the person beside you is in tears. Well, the presence of the Lord is all over them. You see why? Because they understood, they have discernment. They understand that while I'm here, I'm going to meet with Jesus because he's here. And I'm going to meet with him on the basis of what he's done for me, that these emblems represent. So the church was to understand the power of coming together. Luke writes, all believers were together. You ever notice in the early church, nobody ever said, let's go to church. They said, let's come together, right? Big difference. It wasn't just something they did. It was something they understood they were. We are the people of God. We are the sons of God. And when two or more of us come together, man, it's dynamite. The Lord is there. And because the Lord is there, things can change. Jesus wants to change our lives. He wants to continue to grow us and to stretch us. He wants to change those things that need to be changed. I'm going to invite the worship team to join me as we close off our service with the Lord's table here. And I believe with all my heart, as we saw in the first service, as we share in the emblems this morning, I believe the Lord is going to heal some people this morning. I believe the Lord is going to free some of us here this morning who just feel, Lord, I just. if you haven't experienced it already, maybe you have. But you say, Lord, I just got this heaviness. you just coming out of this season. I just feel this weariness. I don't know about you, but sometimes I felt like, Lord, I, I'm ashamed to say it, but sometimes I feel like I've allowed the COVID season to kind of set me back three or four steps. Just things I should have been pressing in more, going after, and I just allowed myself to drift a little bit. And maybe you're here this morning feeling that same way. The Lord's going to get you out of that. He's going to get you out of that pit. He's going to rinse you off. He's going to fill you again with hope and with, with expectation. That's what he's here to do. Maybe you need strength to resist temptation. Maybe you need healing in a marriage relationship. Whatever it may be. But when we come to the Lord's table, what are we doing? We are making room for the Lord to work. We're saying, Lord, come and work in our heart. Work in our midst. Thank you for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, contact info at gtmoncton.com. Follow us on social media at gtmoncton.com. Or check out our website, gtmoncton.com. Have a great week and God bless.